Have a seat, have a seat. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. Uh, here at Mosaic, we believe that every life is sacred and beautiful. Amen? Uh, my kids, I've got four kids ages eight and under. We actually just got back from a road trip to Colorado. Let me tell you, that's quite the adventure when uh, you are traveling 16 hours in a minivan with an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-month-old. But I love my kids. They are beautiful, wonderful, unique. We actually were stopping in Iowa yesterday, and my wife uh, fed our baby, and so she handed her her to me, and I was like, oh, Mariah, you were so precious, so beautiful, so lovely, and that's when she decided to puke all over my shirt. (laughs) Lovely. Fortunately, I had an extra shirt in the car. That's how bad it was, but my kids are unique. They are beautiful, and a lot of times, if you've got young kids, what they will do, they will bring you, you know, pictures that they painted or pictures that they draw. And I love that. And such my little Rebecca, who's five, she loves making pictures for her daddy. And so when she brings them to me, you know, I want to teach her real life. And I'm like, you know, honey, your perspective isn't very good here. My arms are way out of proportion to the rest of my body. This isn't very good shading. No, I'd be a pretty terrible dad, right? Maybe good preparing her for the real world. But, you know, I know I don't criticize what she makes me. I treasure what she makes because I love her because she is unique. Today, I want us all to know we have a heavenly father who loves us so much because we are unique, because we have value, because we are his children. And God loves what you create, what you make, not because it's the most amazing thing he's ever seen, but simply because you are a child of God and he loves what you make, what you do, who you are, because you matter to God. Our God is a creative God. Did you know that God created over 300,000 kinds of beetles? 300,000. I read that. I was like, God, couldn't you have stopped at 50,000? Like, did you really need 300,000? Did you really need to make Japanese beetles? Anyone else have a problem with Japanese beetles in your trees and your gardens? Yes, I see those hands. I see those hands. But God, why did you create those? They're destroying my birch and linden trees. Man, I hate those Japanese beetles. Did you know that in one cubic feet of snow, there's over 18 million unique snowflakes? Like, who's going to notice that? especially on April 15th. Remember that snowstorm? Like, I don't notice all the unique snowflakes. All I notice is covering my driveway, right? It's like, God, April 15th, why do we have snow? But God notices every unique snowflake because he loves variety. God loves variety and diversity in people too. Have you noticed that? If you're hung out in Central Park or Ridgedale Mall and just kind of people watched, have you ever noticed how many weird, I mean, how many unique people there are in this world. I mean, man, God is a unique, creative God, and God loves you. You have a heavenly Father who loves you, who thinks of you as beautiful, unique work of art. And do you know that you also have been uniquely and beautifully designed for a purpose? See, I'm pretty sure that everyone at some point in their life wonders, God, why am I here? Why am I here? Am I just a mistake like my parents told me? Am I just here to take up space to just go to work? Why am I here? Am I just supposed to go to school, get a job, retire somewhere down south and start eating dinner at 4 p.m.? Like, is that all that life has to offer? And God would tell us, no, 
So why are we here? Why in the world are you and I here? Today, we're going to dive into Psalm 139. I just love that video that presented our text today in such a, a beautiful way. And first, I want us to look at three truths about you and me, and then four truths about God. Three truths about you and me, four truths about God, because three plus four equals seven, and it's the number of spiritual completion in the Bible. Can I get an amen? Your pastor loves weird things. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, it helps to not just give you some information, but have a life of transformation. We think if you can hear it, if you can write it down, you can see it, discuss it with your family or small groups, it'll help get these truths down deep into your soul. Number one, we're going to see that you and I, that you are unique. You are unique. There is no one in the world like you, and there's never going to be. Nobody else with your same fingerprints or footprints or vocal patterns. God made you unique. Why did God go through all that work to make you unique? Because he wants you to know that you matter to God. You matter to God. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're pretty unique. Turn to your person. Now turn to the other person that you didn't really want to talk to and say, you're really one of a kind. (laughs) You are unique. Number two, You are wonderfully complex. You are wonderfully complex. Raise your hand if you are married to someone who is wonderfully complex. All the guys should have their hands in the air. Amen? We are all wonderfully complex. We're so complex that oftentimes we are a mystery to ourselves. We've all been in situations thinking, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I eat that? Because now I feel horrible, right? Oftentimes we are a mystery to ourselves because we are just wonderfully complex. The truth is you are unique and wonderfully complex. And number three, you were created for a purpose. You were created for a purpose. You are not an accident regardless of what your parents told you. Even if they didn't plan you, God did. You were created for a purpose. And God created you because he wanted you to be unique And it's your uniqueness that God wants you to give back to the world so that you can make a difference. You were designed to do something in this world that no one else was designed to do. You have a unique role to play in our world. And God doesn't create anything without a purpose. And he handcrafted you and I for a unique purpose so that you can fulfill in this world. This summer we've been going through the book of Psalms and going through different Psalms. And like I said, today we're in Psalm 139, one of my favorites. It's another Psalm of David. David is our author. We've talked a little bit about David. David, maybe you've heard of David and Goliath. That's this David. He's the, the giant killer. He's also an amazing songwriter, king. The Bible t- says he's a man after God's own heart, a soldier, a warrior poet. That's who David is. I want you to keep that in mind, who wrote this. And we're going to come back to that at the end. But number one, here's what David tells us about God. that God knows me. God knows me. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 4. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows you. Did you know that? God knows you. 
God knows you, Nancy, Jerry, Tim, Dave. Not just some abstract knowledge of the world and people, but God knows you. God knows you. How does God know us? Well, this knowledge of God is relational. It's relational. He, he doesn't just have some abstract knowledge, but he wants to be in relationship with us. And number two, this knowledge of God is comprehensive. His knowledge of us is beyond what anyone else knows of us. The psalm teaches us a few things about God and describes various aspects of his attributes, especially his omnipotence and his omnipresence. The God of heaven and earth created us and has perfect knowledge of us. He's always with us and his thoughts are always directed towards us in every situation. That's pretty amazing and honestly a little scary. Like if you've heard about, you know, big brother who's, you know, listening in, like your big father knows every detail about you. If you didn't know this, the Amazon and Facebook, like they're listening in on all our conversations on our smartphone. Like that's how like when you go to Facebook and all of a sudden like an advertisement gets directed at you that you didn't even like search on Google. It's just because they're listening in and it's kind of creepy because it's like fine, that's what they're doing with all their data and they're mining it so they can advertise to us. Well, our amazing faithful God knows us even more than Facebook or Amazon or Google. Our amazing faithful God knows every aspect of us. It's a comprehensive relational knowledge. My wife and I, Kristen, we've been married for 13 years now, four kids. I've uh, been through a lot, a couple different states, a couple different big moves. And the reality is no one knows me like Kristen knows me. No one sees me at my lowest points and my highest points than my wife, Kristen. She gets to see the side of me that no one else sees that when I get angry and yell because I'm just frustrated with life or whatever, she sees when I, I'm excited and I get a little goofy and I don't let that goofy side out too often. She knows me intimately and I know her. I know what's going on in her mind and, and, and her soul. And that's the kind of relationship God has with us. He knows every detail, everything that we are thinking about. Now, theological words like omnipotence and omnipresence, they can be helpful theological shorthand, but I think David, our warrior poet, he'd say, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, it's fine for the textbooks, but I wrote this song so you could understand how God knows me how he surrounds me, how he searches me out, how he's handcrafted me. So it's, it's good to sometimes to dive in the textbooks, but sometimes it's good to understand who God is to trust the poets and the songwriters. I like how G.K. Chesterton in his great book, Orthodoxy, explains it. He says, the poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the one driven by logic who seeks to get the heavens into his head and it is head that splits. What he's saying is that the mystery of God that he can be everywhere all at once and all knowing and all powerful, that if we try to wrap our heads completely around that truth, our head's gonna split open. And so sometimes it's good to lean on songs and poetry to say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm gonna believe it. I'm gonna trust it that you surround me, that you know me that you love me. Number one, that God knows me. Number two, God surrounds me. God surrounds me. 
You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where should I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God knows all your inward thoughts, motives, desires, fears, as well as your outward habits and actions. And everything that you and I do, he encircles us with his care and lays his hand of favor upon our heads. The Hebrew phrase, you hem me in behind and before, could also mean shaping like a potter. And when David says, you laid your hand upon me, it's not like a kid gets caught in the candy store and the, the adult lays his hand on his shoulder like, oh, son, where are you going? It's not like that. It's like the hand of the potter upon his clay that he is fashioning and shaping. David says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I go to the heights, if I go to the depths, wherever I go, God is already there. Perhaps even more scary than the thought that wherever you go, God is following behind you is the thought that when you try to run from God, wherever you run to, he's already there ahead of you. That wherever you turn, you're like, God, I'm leaving him behind. Where is he? He's already there. Wherever we go, God is there because God surrounds us. He loves us. Unlike the ancient pagan deities of David's day, whose authority was conceived as confined to a certain area of operation just in this part of town, David is proclaiming that Yahweh, our God, his authority extends to the heavens, the depths, the seas. He's saying that God's sovereignty is over all of creation. God knows me. God surrounds me. And God made me. David says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God made you and I. He fashioned us in our mother's womb for a purpose. Uh, Bob and Pam met in college. They fell in love. They got married and said, God, what, what do you want for us? And Bob and Pam felt like God was leading them towards the Philippines and said, you know, we're going to tell people about the love of Jesus by taking care of orphans, by meeting people's needs. And while they're over in Philippines taking care of orphans and doing the work of God and telling people about Jesus, Pam got very sick. And so they gave her these medicine, these drugs to help her combat this illness. And that's when they found out that she was pregnant. And they immediately stopped these drugs, but it had already done its work and the placenta had detached. And the doctor said, there's probably no hope for your child. Well, God knew, and God was intricately working and fashioning inside that womb. And she gave birth to a healthy baby boy and named him Tim. And that boy grew up with a calling on his life and knew that God had fashioned him and created him and surrounded him and made him for a purpose. 
And he went back to where his parents grew up in Florida and played football for the Gators. Many of you know the story of Tim Tebow, that he knew that he was fashioned, that he shouldn't even be alive, that God had a purpose for his life. And so on the biggest stage of the national championship, he wore underneath his eyes John 3.16. And actually almost shut down Google, because so many people Googled, what is John 3.16? And Tim Tebow then went on to go play quarterback for the Broncos when I lived in Colorado. It was an amazing story, and, and he won this playoff game and threw for 316 yards, and it was awesome. And then he got traded and cut and left football. And... and if I'm Tim Tebow, I'm thinking, God, but I know you created for me a purpose and, and it's to be a quarterback and to do your will. What? Well, now Tim Tebow is playing minor league ball in upstate New York and Binghamton, New York, actually where my in-laws are from. And what I love about the story of Tim Tebow is that God fashioned him, God saved him, God protected him. He used him for a platform. But his purpose wasn't to be some famous quarterback and as he plays minor league baseball, he helps out with a bunch of youth groups in upstate New York, continuing to live out his role and his purpose for his life. As he says, God, what do you want from my life? Each and every one of us, we have been formed and shaped and fashioned just like Tim Tebow. And God has a purpose for our life. And for many of us, we, maybe we think it is the highest stage and the brightest lights, and maybe God will lead us in that way. But I also believe that God will continue to use our failures and where we don't measure up. And God invites us to faithfully follow him. Because God made us and he's continuing to shape us and lead us and guide us. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, remember that he is the artist and you are only the picture. You can't see it. So quietly submit to be painted, i.e. keep fulfilling all the obvious duties of your station. You really know quite well enough what they are asking forgiveness for each failure and then leaving it alone. You are in the right way. Walk. Don't keep on looking at it. God is painting the picture that is our lives and we need to trust the artist as he shapes us, as he fashions us, as he leads us. We are made in the image of God. And before we were born, God knew us. I like how the RSV states it, that we were intricately wrought by God on that tiny scale. He created us, not just life, but a life, not just from birth to death, but from conception to death, a human life is God's handiwork for a purpose. And God doesn't bring us to life without a purpose. Number four, God searches me. God searches me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What King David prayed here is what I believe every believer should pray on a regular basis. Make this your daily prayer. God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God, lead me in your way of sanctification as I become more and more like Jesus. If anything offensive is found, we need to turn from it in repentance. David is saying that nothing less than conformity to God's will. So therefore, examine my heart. See, here's the truth, that we either confess our sins 
or we just slip into cosmetic Christianity. It's just surface level, nothing deeper. And what David does, he contrasts two ways, the way of the world and the way of God. The offensive, grievous ways of the world or the way of God. Here's the truth, that we all want freedom. But I think some of us, we, we want to hide our sins. And we think freedom is not being found out. The secret things that we do, the secret things that we think. But true freedom is no longer hiding. It's no longer living with that fear of being found out. Fathers, the battles you fight today are the battles your kids are going to avoid tomorrow. We have the opportunity now to influence future generations. We can break generational curses of the way our family has been that will echo down to future generations. See, you and I can settle to live a life of secret shame or you can share it with God and with others so you don't have to live in the shadow of shame anymore. David, we talked about him. He was a man after God's own heart. So the Bible says about him. But the reality is by all accounts, David was a pretty lousy father. He had one son rape a daughter. Another son tried to take the throne from him. He wasn't around. He made some horrible mistakes. When all the other kings were off to war, he stayed home. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He saw a woman. He wanted her, so he took her. Then he had her husband killed. He made other mistakes that cost people thousands of people's lives. And yet the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. How is that possible? How can someone who's made such terrible mistakes be a man after God's own heart? And God even says to future generations, I will hold back my judgment because of what David did. What? See, David learned to confess, to repent, to shuva, to turn from what he did wrong, and then to live free. See, I said that we are made in the image of God, and that means we share certain attributes of God. But there are certain attributes that God has that we don't have. Omnipresence, his omniscience, his omnipotence. And God has the ability to forgive and forget our sins. And so when we come to him, after we've confessed and, and we still feel dirty and shameful, God says, no, I have forgotten it. Live free. And I think what some of you need to hear today is that things that you've done in your past that you feel such guilt and shame over, things that you have confessed that you've repented for, but you're still holding on and God wants you to let it go, to live free. That is how David was a man for God's own heart. He did these horrible things. David probably did worse sins than any of us will ever do. And yet he was able to confess that sin, to repent, and then to live free. 
When my kids make a mistake and they come and and, and they apologize and, and we renew that relationship, I don't continue to hold that against them. In the same way, our Heavenly Father, when we repent, when we confess it, he, he forgets it. And so you need to know, whatever mistakes you've made, if you repent, if you confess it, that you can live free, you can let go of that secret shame and that guilt, you don't have to hold it back. That abortion that you had 20 years ago, you can let it go. That divorce you went through that wasn't your fault, you can let it go. That adultery you committed that you for, have asked for confession, you can let it go. Amen? Let it go. Because when you feel forgiven, you will forgive graciously. See, when we don't feel like we've been forgiven and we feel like our Heavenly Father continues to judge us and look at us and counting up all the ways that we are wrong, we will treat people the same way. When someone wrongs us, we will hold that against them. But see, those of us who have been forgiven freely, who understand that we can live free and we can let it go, then we will extend that same forgiveness and graciousness to our kids, to those around us. We understand that they, they sin against us. Hey, I can let it go because I have been given freely. And when we have been forgiven of much, then we will understand the grace of God in a much deeper and bigger way. We need to let it go. Imagine if we truly understood that God knows us, that God surrounds us, that God made us for a unique purpose in the world. Imagine if each one of us got up every morning and said, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And when God reveals those things in your heart that you need to confess, that like in David and in Psalm 51, that we confess those things to God. We give it to him. Then we turn our back from those sinful activities. We no longer go down that path and we turn a new path and we walk towards God. As I close, I just want to tell you a, a cool story example that I heard a couple months ago. Maybe if you're following the news, you saw there were these lava explosions, volcanic eruptions in Hawaii and fires. And it was pretty nuts to watch that. And I read this story of someone who was down there and watching that, and they were at a hotel, and they were talking to the hotels and said, you know, are you worried? Are you nervous that, you know, lava is going to come down and take out the hotel? And they said, no. See, we build our hotels on old lava flows. Because where that lava has erupted, it can't happen again. That the, the, the lava won't flow that way anymore. And see, in our lives, when, when, we, when we sin, when we confess, when we, we repent, we leave it behind, and we no longer have to be tied to that anymore. We can leave it behind, and God sees it no more. And we can turn from that and be freed from all of that. And, and no longer at risk and walk in the same way that we used to walk. We can let it all go. We can live free. Would you stand with me? I just want to give you the opportunity right now to respond to the call of God. I want you to know that right now, in this place, in this moment, God knows you. He surrounds you. He made you for a purpose.
And before we go have our fun day, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved and we can find true forgiveness. We don't have to hold on to those mistakes we've made. We don't have to hold on to the hurts that have been done to us. We can find true freedom through Christ. I want to invite every head to be bowed, every eye closed. If you would like to receive that free gift of God, his offer of salvation to say, God, I want you to be in charge. I want you to be my savior, to be my leader. God, I want to give you all my sin, all my shame, all my brokenness, God. I want to give it to you. You can reach out and respond to that free gift of God. I'm just going to give you in just a minute, I'm going to invite you to respond by just lifting your hand. Because I believe that what God is speaking to you in your heart right now is real, it is true, and that when you respond physically with what is going on, on the inside it becomes all that much more real. So on the count of three, that if you want to give your life over to Jesus, to make him the leader and the savior of your life, to trade your guilt and shame for God's love and grace, on the count of three, I want you to just lift your hand. One, I believe God loves you, that he made you, that he surrounds you right now in this place. Number two, that when you give your life over to him, you will never be the same. Number three, raise your hand if you'd like to receive that free gift of grace and mercy this morning. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. 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 Thank you. Would I just ask everyone to pray this prayer with us together. God, you know me. You made me, you love me. And so God, I lay down my sin and shame at your feet. I receive your love, your grace. Jesus, I want to follow you. Be the leader and savior of my life. I confess my sin. I confess that you are Lord, amen. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that you will be saved and you are adopted into God's family. Can we just give a hand for what God is doing here today in this place? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, not only are you adopted into God's family, but we believe that you are here this morning, that you are family here at Mosaic. And we want to say we're so glad that you are here. Would you stick around? Uh, if you've been coming for a little while, make a new friend. Uh, we're going to have right outside those doors, outside, uh, bounce house up there, like Josh said, DJ, food. It's going to be a fun day. Well, receive the benediction. May you know that God loves you, that God surrounds you, that God made you for a purpose and that you can live free from all your guilt and shame. This week, go out into this world reflecting God's goodness and grace to those around you. Have a great week. Let's go have some fun.